How are you all? Good morning, and thank you so much for being here. You know, this uh, coming week is Thanksgiving, so I would love to wish every single one of you the most wonderful and very happiest of Thanksgivings, that you would just so enjoy yourself. And this service is about, kind of, a little bit about that whole idea of being thankful unto the Lord. But I threw a twist on it last night in the service, and it wasn't in my notes, and I I did it again the first service, so I thought I'd say it to you as well. I'll probably say it now and at the end. But in our thankfulness for this time of the year, when is it the last time that you thought about living your life in such a way that Jesus Christ could look down, the Lord God Almighty can look down from heaven and be thankful that He made you? Be thankful that you are living a life that represents what He would love for you to represent on this earth. Near the end of this message, it says that our Lord, because Israel pushed him away, because they refused to come to trust in him as they ought, he then gave to the Gentiles the very essence of salvation, says in verse 11, to make the Israelites jealous. And I was thinking when I did this, who have we made jealous over our faith? Have you ever had the opportunity to have someone come to you and say, you know, I'd love to believe like you believe. You you seem to have a joy in your life, a contentment in your life, a peace that that goes beyond anything that I've seen. I'd love to to understand that about you. uh, I've had the privilege of having that done. It's, uh, It's quite an honor and it's quite a privilege to be able to lead a in this case, it was one of my very best of friends to uh, a realization of Christ where he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And the hook that drew him to that was that my life had changed so dramatically that he wanted to know what, what happened to, to make that real in my life. So I was thinking this would be a perfect time of the year for us to live in such a fashion that we would make our Lord say, I'm thankful that I made him or her. It would be a very, uh, be a wonderful uh, uh, trying in our lives to live that way. Now would you please turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 11. Would you please? Romans chapter 9, as we studied a few weeks ago, taught us about Israel's past. Chapter 10 taught us about Israel's present. Well, chapter 11 is going to teach us about Israel's future. Now, it is important to know that even though Paul is writing this to the the Jews in Rome to come to a realization of their of their Savior, their Messiah, Jesus Christ, this is also relevant for you and me, If uh, those of us who are not Jews, those of us who are saved or not saved, that we would listen to the message that our Lord is speaking to the Israelites and see if it doesn't maybe encourage us. So we are reminded over and over again, if you, let me, I'll read this in a moment. Let me just share with you a couple of things that we know for certain about our Lord. We are reminded of his faithfulness, his honesty, his truthfulness, his integrity. 
In the Old Testament, just two examples. There are myriads of examples I could have reached into. Joshua says this in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Behold, Joshua says, I'm going of the way of the earth. In other words, I'm about to die. So now he is leaving Israel his last words. And Joshua says this, You know in all of your hearts and in all of your souls that not one word, not one single word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Solomon stood before the assembly of Israel. And he says he blessed them with a loud voice. And he said, this is in 1 Kings. Forgive me, I did the same thing in the first service. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 55 and 56. He stood and he blessed the assembly. And he said with a loud voice, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Solomon says, Not one word has failed of all of his good promises. Now there are many more examples in the Old Testament, but let me jump to the New Testament. Jesus Christ says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them, in other words, set them apart in the truth. Thy word is truth, Jesus told us. This is the truth. The very essence of all truth are written within these pages. And then Paul reminds us that God cannot lie. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, also in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. Point is this. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, we are talking about Israel and the promises that God made to them. Everything that God said to Israel and to us is wholly true. It is without any trace of error whatsoever. Now, some of God's promises are conditional. I'll give you that. In other words, they are dependent upon our obedience. But many of His promises are unconditional, meaning they are grounded solely in His wonderful grace, God's unmerited favor that he pours out upon his people. And so as we read chapter 11, we're going to see that God is not through with Israel yet, even though what he said in chapter 10 verse 21 was quite harsh. Let's go back, start in chapter 10 verse 21 and read through chapter 11 verse 11. Read with me please. Chapter 10 of, excuse me, yes, chapter 10 verse 21. But as for Israel... God says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now before we read chapter 11, that song that, that uh, Anthony wrote, where it says at the feet of Jesus that, that he's, he welcomes all, just all sorts of different individuals, whether they be wretched or, or be saints, they are all welcome at the feet of Jesus. That, that kind of fits in with here. Because the Lord God says, I've been all day long stretching out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Then Paul says, on top of that, in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, 
God has not rejected his people, has he? He gives the strongest negative that can be written in the Bible. May it never be. Paul says, For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to Elijah? The Lord says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, or in other words, to idols. Verse 5, In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. The New King James uses the word blinded. Hardened or blinded. I like blinded better, and you'll see why right now. Just as it is written, verse 8, 9, and 10, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Pretty hard statement. I want to read with you verse 11. Verse 11 is the start of a new paragraph, but Verse 11 fits here for what I want to say concerning you and me and thanksgiving, but also for this message. Paul then writes, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Again, he uses the strongest negative term possible. May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So, I said to you at the beginning, you and I are to live a life to make people jealous so that they would want to come to know our Savior. But what our Lord says here through Paul are very harsh words. They're, 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 their eyes have begun, become darkened so as not to see, and their backs have been bent, and they are in this position and and what in the world does that mean? It's very hard, hard words. Let's see. It, it is a really uh, an amazing place in Scripture, and it ought to be a warning for all who constantly put off serving the Lord, whether you are a believer or not. Let's say you are a believer, and you hear God speak to you, but you put off His call upon your life. I say to you, don't do that. Listen to His call. Respond to him. A couple of weeks ago, we had our 10th anniversary. And Rob, or, or Dave, I forget, I think it was Rob that made the statement that normally in a church, there is 10 to 20% of the people who help serve. 
On our list of those of you who attend this church, there are approximately to a little bit over half, 50%. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing tribute to, to you as a body of believers to serve the Lord like this. We, I see more than others. I see what goes on in the kitchen. <laughs> I like food, I guess. That was a little bit of a... I should, I should have said I'd like to... No. Anyways, I, I go in. I always say hi. And there's, there's a group of people that are there every Sunday morning cooking the meal. And they, today... Tony told me. I don't know if Tony... Yeah, he's here. God bless your heart, Tony. He's faithful. He comes... What time did you get here this morning, Tony? Just curiosity. 6.30 this morning. To start cooking your potato pancakes, which, by the way, ought to be a staple here. Those were awesome. They come. Are you the first one to come? And about the same. All about the same time. Tony told me this morning, we do this because we love one another. Did you hear that? He told me that. You know, you don't think I listen to you so closely. We love one another, and we, enjoy, we really enjoy doing what we do here. What a blessing. And then there's Dorothy, and she's not here. I have embarrassed her no end two Saturdays ago. But she's there every week as well, and others who, who serve the Lord faithfully there. Diane, you're one. To serve the Lord faithfully. And, and, it's, and it's such a blessing to see, but I want you to know that if you've heard that call Serve the Lord. For those of you who are here investigating, and God bless you, I, I want you to come, and I want you to listen to what the Lord has to say to you. Not, not too much what I'm saying, but what is written in these pages. I want you to listen to them, because God wants to touch your heart. God wants you to come to know Him, but I beg of you, don't put off what you've already been told in your heart. When you sense that call, that, that you have enough information, but you say, I want a little bit more, Stop putting that off. Come to Christ. Last night, I, I don't know if the young lady is here right now or not. She uh, walked up to me, a very beautiful young lady. Uh, she was raised in a Muslim home. And she, she had her own Bible. And she said, I want you to teach me what's in here. I want to learn about Jesus. And so Karen Thompson, by the grace of God, was sitting over there. And I said, yes, I would love to teach you. I would love to. And I said, I think you could also learn from Karen. And we talked a little bit, and she and I, and she was here this morning to meet with Karen. That young lady that came last night, she wanted to find out more about Jesus. That's what our church is about, folks. Our church isn't about me. It's not about stuff. Our church is about you and me getting to know and falling in love deeply and more deeply with Jesus Christ with every day we walk. So that maybe by the grace of God, our Lord can look down and say, I am thankful I made that person. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I long for that for you and for me, that we would be that type of people. This service lends itself to that. Now, I've, I've gone on and on and on. Please forgive me. Uh, let, let's get into the message itself, but first let's pray. Dear Father, would you please open our eyes so that we might behold absolute wonderful things from your law. 
Would you do us the most wonderful privilege, and that is, Father, teach us. Would you move me aside so that we, uh, I do not get in the way of what you want to say to any single one of us, all of us, Father. Where we need to be convicted, would you please do that? Where we need to be comforted, please, Father, comfort. Father, we want to sense your presence in our lives here in this building, this wonderful building that you've given us. And so, Lord, uh, may we hear from you. And may we, be, may we be not only thankful for all that you've done for us, but may we, Father, by the grace of an almighty God, make you thankful that you made us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, immediately... God reminds everyone through Paul that he is not through with Israel. As, as he says in verse 1, after verse, uh, verse 21 of chapter 10, it, it needed to be said. And so Paul says, has God rejected Israel? No, he says, may it never be. That's in the Greek, M-E-G-E-N-O-I-T-O. It's the Strongest Greek negative word possible. May it never be. An impossibility. Paul then gives his own witness. He says, I know he's not through with us. Because I too, he says in verse 1, I'm an Israelite. I am a descendant of Abraham. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I'm one of you. And this is the thrust of chapter 11. Paul is writing that it is totally inconceivable that God would renege or break his promises that he has given to Israel. Look at verse 2. God has not rejected his people. Verse 3. Elijah said, even though they have killed his prophets, tore down his altars, he is still faithful to them, despite Israel being, as we read in chapter 10, verse 21, disobedient, obstinate, he still will keep his word with them. And then God reminds Elijah, who Elijah said feels like he's all alone, feels like he's the only one serving the Lord. The Lord says to Elijah, look, I have kept for myself, God speaking, 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal or to any idol Paul uses Elijah here in a very strategic manner. He uses him as an illustration. You see, the whole time Elijah stood with God, Elijah felt like he was standing with him alone. I think that's admirable. I really do. I stopped for a moment when I got to this point, and I, and I asked a question that I, myself, which I was going to say to you. Have you ever felt like you're alone? Have you ever felt that you've been abandoned? That, that, that there's nobody out there? Nobody really hears? Nobody really cares? Have you ever felt that way? I have. And, and, and I learn here through that that, that I am a fool, foolish man. Who am I to think that I'm all alone? Elijah, thinking he stood alone for God against 450 of prophets of Baal who wanted to kill him. And when, when Elijah went to the Lord and says, I'm alone, but I'm standing for you, Lord, the Lord says, you're not alone. No, no. I've got 7,000 more that you don't even know about who have not sold their hearts out to Baal. So if you ever feel alone, folks, you need to know that God has many more like you 
who are also fighting the good fight. So hang in there. As, it's even more reason why we should connect into smaller groups. It's even more reason why that we should come to church and, 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 and be an encouragement to one another so that we make each other not feel alone when we feel like everything else is crumbling in around us. That we have each other to encourage and to help one another. By the way, if you don't think that's true, which I know you do, but look at verse 5. It's very strategically put in here. Paul writes, in the same way, in other words, like Elijah, feeling that he was all alone, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, of course, God is speaking through Paul to Israel here. But it isn't a stretch for you and me to see that he is speaking to every single one of us who have placed our faith and trust in him. We are not alone. For, for no reason are we alone. And then Paul makes his point in verse 6. Now, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, you have to admit with me, Paul kind of drove home the point. And I was just trying to hang on to Paul in his word. He drove home the point that you come to Christ by faith and by faith alone. You can't work your way there. You cannot earn it. You, you, there's nothing that you can do to make God more happy with you or more in love with you. He loves you just the way you are. In and while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So Paul says in verse 6, if it is by grace, in other words, God's unmerited favor, God's by faith in God, if it's by grace, then he says it is no longer on the basis of works. Yeah, Paul, we get it. You said that for eight chapters. But he wants to make his point because he wants to drive home to anyone and everyone that feels that their religious background or their traditions, when they tell you differently that you think you have to do something to make God happy with you, you need to understand that He loves you. And it is by faith. Or in this case, Paul says grace. He says it is no longer, verse 6 again, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. God's unmerited favor. Now, here's the hinge, and we've said this before. Let me just briefly go over it. To serve the Lord is a great honor that you and I have. But to serve the Lord doesn't make Him love you anymore. To serve the Lord is purely, it's purely an act or an expression of your love for Him, for what He has done for you. And I've used the example of my wife. I tell her I love her often. Hopefully, often enough. But my telling her I love her does not make me more married. I married Kay on September the 14th, 1973. 40 years ago now. And every time I tell her I love her, doesn't make me more married. I was as married as I was ever going to be on September the 14th, 1973. When you come to Christ, you are as much saved as you're ever going to be saved. 
your expression once you come to Christ that you love him is just that, an expression of your love for him, an appreciation for everything that he has done for you. It'd be a wise believer, wise for us, to catch the whole premise of how we can serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul is going to get really heavy on that in about, mm, let me look, I'll tell you exactly, in about 36 verses. Look at chapter 12. This is a rabbit trail. I didn't mean to take this. Just let me look at it with you for a moment, just a moment, and we'll come back to right where we were, talking about grace, faith. But what Paul, once he gets through talking about Israel, he's going to talk about us as believers, and he's going to encourage us to serve the Lord. That's your call to service. Look what he says. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, talking to the family of God, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The way you worship, the way I and we worship the Lord is by serving Him as a believer. Before you've come to Christ, serving Him isn't an issue. Trusting Him by faith is the issue. Once you trust in Him by faith, then serving Him is glory. It's receiving all the blessings. Let's go back to chapter 11. Let's finish this up. So what Paul has been teaching, grace versus works, they are two mutually exclusive systems. They are diametrically opposed to one another. Therefore, in verse 5, when he says, in the same way, there has also come to be at this present time a remnant the remnant is composed of those who have trusted in Christ by faith and faith alone. But at the end of it, it says uh, in verse 5, according to God's gracious given, but the rest, and verse 7 is the, the verse that I wanted to look at, there are those who are not saved, those who are hardened. The future purpose of God from the day Paul wrote this word down in Romans to the very present day in which we live concerns those who have accepted Jesus Christ. But what about those that did not? What about those who refuse? Well, the remainder of Israel, we are told, has been hardened or blinded, New King James. Verse 7, very important verse. What then? Now, talking about unbelieving Israel, what unbelieving Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. They are seeking to be, be right with God through their deeds, through their good works, through their religion. And God says, no, no, no. No, Paul is teaching, that's not the way you come to God. You come to Him through faith. And the rest, verse 7, were hardened. No, those who were chosen obtained it. That's the believers. But the rest were hardened or blinded. The phrase in verse 7, is seeking, is from the word E-P-I-Z-E-T-E-O. It means someone who is intensely and diligently seeking. We've got to give them that. They are diligently seeking after God. But the Jew in Paul's day were fanatically religious. We noticed we noted their condition when Paul said in chapter 10, 
verse 2, remember? In fact, look at it. Chapter 10, verse 2. I bear witness, Paul says, of them. They have a zeal for God. In other words, they have a passion for God, but not in according to knowledge. In other words, they don't know what they're talking about. They have no idea what the Scriptures teach. That's why it's so important that we study the Word of God here at our church to understand what is God saying to us? What does He want to teach us out of the Word of God? It's critical to know that. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Stay in chapter 10 for just a moment. Their zeal focused on their own false righteousness, their own works, rather than God's true righteousness, which was faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Look, verse 3 of chapter 10. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God, we know for a fact, as we studied it, only comes through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Consequently, verse 4 of chapter 10, who, Christ, becomes the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But for, the God, for those whom God had chosen, who sought after His righteousness, they graciously, verse 7 of chapter 11 now, obtained it. The rest were hardened, become blinded, now, we already have studied that a hardened heart is a heart that is either hardened or blinded by the one who refuses to believe. It is not done by the Lord. We learned that through Pharaoh. So many people think that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but if you study it and look at it clearly, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And remember, in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 16, it said they did not Heed, And we saw that that word heed was critical to this whole understanding of the book of Romans. To heed meant to listen intently, but also to listen with obedience. You see, obedience, listening and obedience must fit hand in hand. It's one thing to listen, it's a whole other thing to be obedient. It's important to know this truth, this difference. Let me see if I can read this correctly and so that you might get it. They were hardened or blinded because they failed to believe in the truth. Repeat that. They were hardened or blinded because they failed to believe in the truth. They were not, excuse me, they did not fail to believe in the truth because they were hardened or blinded. In other words, God didn't say, you I have hardened, you I have not. I, I, these are commentaries. I, in fact, I have a, um, whatever you do when you reference who is from, that's from Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. John MacArthur, two very brilliant men. They, they've, they teach very clearly that God gives you an opportunity to respond to the very good news that he presents before you. And you, you, you ought to be cautious not to harden your heart or to refuse the call of God. They did not fail to come to Christ because they were hardened or they were blinded. Absolutely not. They had been exposed to the gospel like no other people have ever been exposed to it. As God said in chapter 10, verse 21, all day long I have stretched out my hands to an obstinate, and, and disobedient people. He had been patient. 
He had been kind. And now their hearts have been hardened or blinded because they would not accept the light or the truth that has been given to them. So that those who didn't look further for the truth, did they not see, sadly? Verses 8, 9, and 10 are really difficult verses. Let's Let's take a look at them. You see, when a person continues over and over and over to reject the truth of the gospel, they become even more difficult to reach with the truth of the gospel. Just as, verse 8, just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. He gave them, note, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. These are quotes out of Deuteronomy and Isaiah, Old Testament. You see, Deuteronomy represents the law of God. Isaiah represents the prophets. And what Paul is saying is both the law and the prophets concur with the will of God. And David says, verse 9, let their table. In other words, what they have set before themselves. That's what this means, their table. What they have set before themselves, let that become a snare and a trap. Let it become a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Wow, that's, that's such a hard verse. Listen, one of the saddest commentaries of history is that so many people place their trust in the very thing that condemns them. For instance, you take anyone in any false religion or cult that presents a counterfeit means to salvation, more than likely they feed on that falsehood and they become more darkened and more hardened and more blinded through the, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a... I'm give you a, a, a a clue, a hint. Um, you, you've had probably Mormons, two of them come to your door. You've probably had Jehovah's Witnesses, two of them come to your door. Let me share with you what I do. You can do as you wish. You don't have to do what I do. But when they come to my door and I see it's them, I say, wait a second, I'll be right back. I go get my Bible and I come out. I've told you this before. I sit on the porch with them. Don't invite them into the house. Don't want them in my house. Sit on the porch with them. I don't. They come to Christ, they're welcome in my house. But not as they are. So we sit on the porch, and then you try to decipher which one of them is the youngest of the two. Not in age, youngest in their belief system. Always one is the leader, and the other is kind of being discipled by him. Always. Try to find out which one is being discipled and speak to him and or her. And when they say to you, and you'll find this is true, if you get into any kind of conversation with them, I start talking to them, and when they want to interrupt me with their quote-unquote religious beliefs, I said, I don't want to hear right now. And I have a paper and a pencil with me. I hand it to them. I said, put down your name, your address, and your phone number, and I'll call you when I want to come over and hear about your religious beliefs. And I'll come to your home. Right now you're in my home, and you're going to have to hear about what I believe. You've come to my house. Let me tell you what I believe. And so I talk to them, and I try to talk to the younger of the two, and the older one always tries to interrupt, and I said, look, you'll know when I'm talking to you when I look at you. I says, I do. I try, not to be, I try not to be mean to them. I just try to be, I just try to try to reach the one who has not been indoctrinated so deeply now so that his heart is hardened. He might be 
ready to hear some other truth. And I try to speak to that one. And I try to drive home the fact that Jesus Christ loves you, young man. He loves you so much. And that's the one I talked to. And, and that's just the way I do it. If, if you do not want to be bothered by those that come, the cults to your doors, you don't need to be. You can tell them, look, you're at my house. I do the talking. Give me your number. And I, no, By the way, I've never gone to anybody's home yet. Uh, but uh, if I do want to hear about them, I would go there. But I don't want to hear about them. So Israel, let's go back and let's finish this up. Israel continued to, to reject God's word in his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as you see, the progression of Israel, she became progressively more and more blinded. So blind that she would not even recognize her own Messiah, Savior, when Jesus Christ walked on the earth and performed a miracle after miracle after miracle right before their eyes, and they still pushed him off and rejected him. But has God given up on them yet? No, may it never be, just as he wouldn't upon you. So David states in verses 9 and 10, and this is straight out of both Dr. MacArthur and McGee, because it's hard for me to get. said they were darkened and they were not able to see, and, they, and God bent their backs forever. Bending their backs forever, being darkened and not being able to see, suggests a person who is hunched over, who really can't look forward, just can see what's down in front of them, but they really can't see what's down in front of them, which I see as some potatoes right down here. <laughs> Clean up my little place here. What they can't see is, is they're hunched over and they can't see what, and what, what both Dr. McGee and, and John MacArthur agree is that they are groping their way on a path that leads to a destination that they are not certain of. In other words, the blind leading the blind. And they don't come to the very truth, the essence of the truth of the gospel. That's where verse 11 comes in. I'm going to go over it next week, but let me go with it right now. Therefore, God gave to the Gentiles, which is most of us here, the very salvation that was originally given to the Jews long ago through Abraham. And the reason he gave it to the Gentiles was to make the Jewish people jealous. Now, although jealousy is essentially a very negative term, God's intention was for Israel's jealousy of the Gentiles to be a positive stimulus so as to draw his people, the Jews, back to him. Which leads me to where we began. I'm curious. Do you see how desperately God wishes for you and me to walk with Him in our integrity, in our, our honesty, in our, our joy, in our peace? How much He wishes to have you and me have a very unique fellowship with Him at all costs? The last thing I wrote down is, won't you give Him... You're all today. And that was what led me last night to say, wouldn't it be precious if this Thanksgiving God looked down and watched the way you and I were living this week and says, I am very thankful 
I made him or her. I am very thankful for the way they are living. They are making my people jealous and they will draw my people to me through the way we live. That's a great call on our lives, is it not? What a way to go into Thanksgiving. What a what a precious way to go into this time of the year, Thanksgiving to Christmas, to just to just be people who make our Lord thankful that He made us. Now I don't know what that even means. Um, each of us have burdens of sorts. I, I know I do. Major one in my life. It's difficult. I, I don't know how to make it all right. But I do know this. I know how to live for my Lord. I do know how to love Him and hopefully please Him. I ask of you that. I leave with you that this day. Well, I've told you before and I want to tell you again, I love you with all my heart. I am very thankful for you. (laughs) But I'm not God. But I'm very thankful for you. I'm very thankful for the way you've treated this church, this whole transitional period in our lives to be in this place at this time. I am am very, very deeply in love with you. I thank you for everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. By your grace, Father, may we this week live in such a fashion that you might say, I am thankful for that brother or that sister in the Lord. I am thankful for the way they have lived. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand that. For those who are here this morning, right now, it's afternoon, Father, uh, for those who are here who do not know you, I pray they don't put it off. I pray like that young lady that came last night that wants to so desperately understand Jesus more clearly. I pray that all of us will seek after you in such a fashion, Father, that we will come to know you and trust in you as our Lord and Savior. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.